There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. I'm Robert Venditti, the writer of Exo Man of War and Green Lantern, and you're listening to Nerdy Show. The following episode of Nerdy Show was recorded while literally on the road. Nerdy Show, a weekly podcast dedicated to every facet of nerddom, from comics and video games to science and technology. If it's geeky, we've got it covered. Hi, I'm Cap. I'm Tony. I'm Trench. And, and uh, we're on the road. Yeah, we're we're coming home from uh from Charlotte, North Carolina. We're driving through Georgia right now. We're at mile marker 80 on I-95. And uh, we just Heroes Con yep. is firmly behind us. We've just been to Heroes Con uh, all weekend long, did some panels, we shilled some merch. We uh, taught some fine fans, yep. some nice folk. I got to rub elbows with some pretty cool comic peoples. Yeah, which they were confused at first when I walked up to them and asked to see their elbow before I rubbed mine against it. But it worked. Yeah, that's why we try not to let you out to interact with anyone ever. This is a weird month for us, you know. We've uh, we've actually like all the shows we've done this month have all been micro recorder recorded things. Like I don't think we've had a single in studio recording all month long. You know what? That's okay. We are we are your nerds on the field. I guess that's that's sort of a little uh, just a note for anybody who's tuning in for the first time. We usually record in the studio. This is just highly abnormal. So Heroes Con, Heroes Con was good. What did we do at Heroes Con? Well, we moderated four different panels. That's right. First among which was the Valiant panel, which is moderated by Aaron from a comic show, a nerdy show comic show. He did a great job, from what I hear. Yeah, I, I was there. He did. And in this episode, we're going to be playing you highlights from the Valiant panel. It's going to be like you were there. And he did this this panel with many of the prominent artists and writers uh, from Valiant right now. And if you're not familiar with Valiant, they're kind of the the best shared universe out there right now. Yeah, they were um, a comics company that was founded, I believe, in the '90s, perhaps the late '80s. And uh, they're responsible for characters like Exo Man of War and Bloodshot and uh, a bunch of stuff. Shadow Man. Yeah, a bunch of things that I, in the 90s, ignored because they kind of seemed like super extreme 90s stuff. Like, the only thing quite more extreme than that was the stuff coming from Image at the time, like Savage Dragon. It was, I mean, it was very well received. Archer and Armstrong, which is one of the series they brought back, was called, uh, it was still one of the best buddy comedies out there in comics. And they, they came kind of back with a with a vengeance. Yeah. What happened was uh, this dude who was a diehard Valiant fan, there's a, there's a photo of him as, as a kid birthday party. I don't know how old he was, but actually had a Valiant cake. Like, he was a, a big-time Valiant fan. And, and we're not talking Prince Valiant. This is not the Sunday Funnies. Yeah, and as an entrepreneur, he actually 
bought the Valiant name, bought all the titles associated with it. Some things that they missed out on were things that Valiant had acquired from elsewhere, like Turok and Solar, the Atomic Man. Those aren't part of Valiant anymore, but all Valiant's original stuff was retained, and uh, he brought it back, and he brought it back with some big names, like uh, Friend Van Lente, uh Rob Venditti, people who know what they're doing, and as such, they don't necessarily like to call themselves this, but it is a good selling point. They are the third largest shared universe in comics. Yeah, like there's Marvel, DC, and Valiant. Bam! I mean, that, that's actually quite impressive. They've been around for maybe two, three years now. Yeah, and, and they've, they've done good business. Like, they, they've maintained a, a certain consistency. They do what, nine books a month? Yeah, nine, but only nine books a month. But they've got a very, like... A tight-knit group yeah, of creators. I mean, I mean, imagine Robert Kirkman's Invincible, right? Yep. It's a thing that's been done largely by just him. There's been a couple mm-hmm. spinoffs by other people. Uh, and it's a it's a well sized world, but they've done as much like world building for Valiant in a couple of years as as Kirkman has in the entire career of Invincible, and that's impressive. Yeah, and it's I mean it's really cool because what's nice about only having nine titles in a very tight, a uh, very closely communicative group of writers is the crossovers it, they emerge in a very organic way and they do it in such a way that you don't feel like you have to buy every book to keep up with it. They've had a number of events in the two years they've been up and I'm not suffering from event fatigue from this group of comics. For a change. Which is weird because the status quo actually shifts and the characters grow and they don't return to a status quo with a couple of name changes. Yeah. So, And if somebody dies, this is true of original Valiant as well, they're dead. Done. Done. And there's, there's nothing, I mean, maybe years from now, when Valiant becomes ludicrously successful, they'll be ju- just as, you know, intense as a Marvel or DC with all the crap they got going on, and people will come back left and right and whatever. But the edict of Valiant is if someone's dead, they're dead. If something big changes, then there's got to be a good reason to change it back. Like, it's small enough, it can actually be a controlled, concise superhero universe. So, that's really exciting. Before, yeah, there, wow, there's a powerful stink in the road. It's, it's not a skunk. Uh, no, maybe, this maybe it's is, a paper I think mill. this is just Georgia. I don't know. No, it's Holy. like it's, like, it's got to be like a paper mill or something. It's, it's got a really... Or a sewage treatment plant that has become sentient and is attacking the road. It's a really rancid funk right right here. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is the benefit of the of the On the yeah. Road podcasting nerdy show bringing you, to you. You cannot smell this. Oh, my God. <laughs> we wish you could. This is, this no, is, we don't. Why this, would you... I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, Trench. What the hell, man? I, I, I'm wishing that on you right now, Tony. <laughs> that is... That is true of you. Oh my god, you were cruel. This is like maybe what it smells like a quarter mile away from the bog of eternal stench. You know what it doesn't smell like, though? The quality that Valiant presents. No. Yeah. <laughs> this is the antithesis of that. Okay, so god. before we before we dive into the Valiant panel, other shit we did. Uh, panel. You with, got to talk to Kevin Eastman. That's right. Uh, there's a panel with Kevin Eastman and talk about his career, the Turtles, and we're going to be playing that in a future episode as we continue our coverage of uh, the Turtles' 30th anniversary. All year long. Yeah, uh, if you if you haven't checked any of that out, we did an episode with uh, Steve Murphy, who also is called Dean Clarain, his pen name, uh, author of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Adventures, the series published through Archie. He's the most prolific Turtles author of all time. Wrote more than the original creators. Yeah, uh, and uh, then also for Turtle stuff, of course, there's, there's our interview with Steve Barron, the director of the original film. That's not from this year, it's from a couple years ago, but hey, it's It's, it's equally impressive, it holds up. Yeah. Also, it's the first for uh, Heroes Con, the first LGBT panel, and uh, this was hosted by Brian from Flame On, and the panel is about uh, gay characters in comics and features some people who uh, have been writing gay characters in comics since the, the 1980s when it was considerably less accepted. The Hernandez brothers, Terry Moore, and then the uh, more recent authoress, Kate Lee. 
So it's a great panel, and that'll be released via Flame On sometime in the very near future. Uh, also, we did an Atomic Robo panel. That went great. The w- it was great. It was awesome. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore because yep, it, it was, uh, Dr. Dinosaur stormed the room. Yeah. Lost to the crystals. Yeah, it's, it's not, not. It was. I was there in the room. There was a giant dinosaur who came in wearing a trench coat and a fedora with a corncob pipe for some reason. That was a dinosaur? I thought that was the average normal human being. He had you fooled, Cap. He had you fooled. What well, he also did was steal the radio waves that we had captured on tape with his crystal that's pack. That's not how that technology and it ran works, away. Okay. Yeah. Basically, shit got fucked up, and uh, we don't have it. But it was great, and uh, for all the handful of people who managed to stay there till the end of Heroes Con, because it was like the last panel of the entire show, thank you so much, and you're awesome. Tune in for more Atomic Robo Nuts and Bolts coming soon. Woo! Um, yeah, let's see. Uh, we'll talk more about Heroes Con after the break, but uh, here is the Valiant panel hosted by Aaron. Enjoy it through your ear holes. Hi, I'm Aaron Holland. <laughs> um, I own a comic shop in Orlando, Florida. I do a comic show weekly um, video on Bleeding Cool and YouTube and all that. I also own a bar. It's pretty cool. I've been a big supporter of Valiant since the very beginning of, um, you know, before the summer of uh, 2012. They've just put out really solid stuff, the perfect package, the perfect marketing. And as a retailer, I have been very impressed with every move they've made so far Uh, because it's a tough, tough market. And Valiant is um, kicking butt, in my opinion. Here's the guys. Uh, Let's go down the line. Brian Reber. He is their uh, exclusive in-house colorist. And we have uh, Josh Johns, uh, cousin of Jeff Johns. He is um, an editor there. Inaccurate. Just just an editor. And everyone, this is Alejandro Arbona, our associate editor, who's managed to be late for two panels in a row. A new valiant record for Alejandro Arbona. I feel like I'm on The prices right. <laughs> Tom Fowler, quantum and woody artist. Yeah, please welcome Tom Fowler. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Kent, who um, is amazing. <laughs> you know him from Rye, Unity, uh, My Management, lots of good stuff. He's an animal. I don't know how he does all that work, but and, and it's all solid. It's all so good. It's weird. Okay. Yeah. Personal assistance. <laughs> <laughs> and then on the end is uh, Louis LaRosa, who does... Uh, Lots of art. He does lots of covers, lots of good stuff. Uh, he did the cover to the Valiant Handbook for the universe for the Free Comic Book Day. He does a lot of great artwork. Yeah. If you're a big fan of Lewis, you can see him next. He uh, is joining the roster for Harbinger number 25. And I saw those pages last night, and they're amazing, man. Thank you, man. Thank you. We're just going to talk to each other. How many of you guys out here are reading the current Valiant stuff? Oh, yeah. All right. And of that, um, how many read the older stuff? You were there? Cool. Right on. I didn't. I didn't read any of the older stuff. I was a kid. I mowed a certain amount of lawns and made a certain amount of money, and I had to get my um, Justice League and my X-Men, so I was not cool. I was not cool back then. But, um, man, this stuff is good now. How did this happen? How did you guys get headhunted? How did this, this become, like, this magic? When I toured the offices, it, it felt like... You guys remember CrossGen? Like, it felt like that type of um, mystique that CrossGen kind of wanted to say they were with, like, this in-house everything and everyone's happy and everything's, everyone's putting out their A-game work, even though it's, you know, not creator-owned, but it had this vision that everyone bought into and were excited about. It's like that without the, like, megalomaniac on top, you know? Thanks for comparing, thanks for comparing us to CrossGen. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, like, it's like CrossGen without the cocaine. Right, right, right. <laughs> 
obviously the books are all working. Obviously this is a shared universe that everything just fits together so nicely. Everything's just running perfect and it seems like no one is phoning it in. Like a lot of times when you have um, writers and creators, when they're not on their creator own stuff, when they're on something that isn't that, you might get more of like a watered down version of them. And with Valiant, I don't feel like that at all. So um, I'm going to jump in on that and say that it is that cool. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why. Like, so I went to the New York office for the first time last last fall. And I went in there, and it's just a small office. It's almost bullpen style. Like, all the office doors are open, and it's just this group of guys, which half of them are here, you know? And, and honestly, I felt like this is... I imagine, like, what the Marvel bullpen was like at the beginning, you know? When it's Stan, Jack, and a few other guys, and, it's a hand, and the, there's very few characters. You know, there's, like, eight titles, and everything's working together, and, and everybody's loving what they're doing. You know, and I, I got that vibe right away. You know, it, it's totally different. And I've worked for every single publisher at this point. It, I mean, there's a few I haven't. Right, right. Um, it's that vibe that makes it fun to write for, you know. And it's not like, here's what we're doing this fall. It's, it's what do you want to do this fall? You know, that's the kind of thing which makes it exciting as a writer. How did you um, get headhunted for Valiant? Like, how did that happen? It, it's funny because I didn't know Valiant had come back. I was a fan of Valiant in the 90s. And I had read pretty much everything, you know. And... My brother, who got me onto it, he's like six years older than me, and he got me back onto it in the 90s. He's like, hey, you should read Harbinger. It's like X-Men, but it doesn't suck. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I read it, I was like, it's awesome. And Dave Lavin was doing the art. And I didn't know Valiant was back. I don't read many comics anymore. And so I just sort of was reading what I needed to read for continuity for DC and Marvel, and I just sort of sick of the mainstream stuff. And my brother called me, literally called me up. He's like, hey, you know Valiant's back, right? And I was like, they are? What are they, what's come out? He's like, XO. And, Bloodshot, and, and so I just started downloading them on my iPad, and I think it was around, I think Bloodshot issue five is what I was was reading, literally when Warren, the editor, called me, and he's like, hey, would you want to write a Bloodshot zero? And I was like, yeah, what, what happens in it, you know? And he's like, we don't, we don't know, we want you to write it. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm reading, I'm reading the series right now, like, I, I'm wanting to know what happens, like, I'm excited to see what happens next. And he's like, well, you decide what happens next, you know? And I was like, that's, it was awesome, you know? Like, I was coming at it as a fan, I was just quietly reading those, I wasn't looking for work. I think mind management is what Warren was reading and he liked, and then that's why he asked me to do it. What about the mind management ads and in your books for Valiant. That was Warren's idea. That was Valiant's. He, he said, do you want to do an ad swap? And I was like, yeah, but it's got to be conceptual. Like, it has to fit my book, you know? And so I, it had to be something that would fit in the reality of what my book is, which doesn't have any ads. You know, so I did like a backup story that was like sort of a, it worked as an ad, but it was actually a, little, a story about a guy who was trying to create these weird Valiant characters, you know? And, and they were all failing in this universe, but they work in the other. And, and then for the the Valiant ad I did. What did I do? Oh, I did, uh, I can't remember what that ad was. It was very confusing working on it because I was putting Valiant characters in my book and my characters in a Valiant book and it was... was You did a crossover with ads. I mean, that's how, like, fun you are and Valiant is for allowing that. That's ridiculous. It was all just a plot by us to own my management. (laughs) So, now we do. They do own it now. (laughs) I used to work at Marvel as an assistant editor to uh, uh, an upstart young editor of theirs called Warren Simons. Warren actually sort of uh, recruited me and hired me at Marvel. Uh, That was my entree into editorial in the first place. And then he ended up leaving Marvel after a number of years there. 
passage of time, westward the wagons. Warren was uh, executive editor at Valiant one day, and uh, they were growing and they were launching their line, and he actually uh, called me and he said he trusted me and he always liked working with me and would I want to come edit comics at Valiant. And I said no. <laughs> uh, I said thanks, but I, I kind of don't really want to work in comics right now. And a year went by and then he called again and I said no. And then another year went by, he called again and I said yes. Yes, I do. Actually, I do. By that point, they had been putting out comics for two years and they oh, were wow. awesome. And I said, obviously, I kind of missed the boat here and I made the wrong decision. So then I did come to Valiant, uh, and I was very happy. I've been very, very happy there ever since. Mine's kind of like that, except for people saying no to me. I was, I was, I came to New York City to intern at Marvel Comics, and then didn't get the Marvel Comics internship twice. So then moved back to my home state of Georgia. And on the day I moved back, Sarah Delgrappa called me and told me I got the Marvel internship, and I, uh, after contemplating suicide for like three days, which is a joke. It's a very morbid joke. The, uh, I uh, ended up getting the Marvel internship, moved back to New York City, met Hunter Gorenson, who's our marketing director, finished the internship, worked under Nick Lowe, who's now the Spider-Man editor, major influence on my life, uh, really great guy. Came back, finished school, wanted to work in comics, didn't really know anything about Valiant, didn't really know where I was going to go, if I was going to try to go to Marvel or DC or anywhere. Hunter called me one night, uh, and I knew that he was working for Valiant, and asked if I wanted to get dinner, if I was anywhere near, I think it was Greenville. And I said, I'm actually super near Greenville, where he was with his wife, and uh, uh, I was lying. I was four hours away, but I got in my pickup truck and I drove straight there as if like I was just like 15 minutes away and met him for dinner. I was like, hey, what's going on, man? We went out for dinner and drinks and I gave him my resume. And I was like, hey, you, you work with Warren Simons. You could give this to him. And Hunter was a good friend and did. And then they, they brought me in. But basically by lying to Hunter and saying that I was only a two towns over at a fraternity brother's house instead of the four hours away in Athens, Georgia that I was, uh, was how I kind of broke in. So you went from intern to actual paid employee? I did. I was there prior to X-Men number one, and then I uh, became, I guess, the first editorial hire. Which I, And just back to what you're saying, it really is as fun as, as it seems. If making comics is a real privilege that we all take super seriously. Uh, we all bring our A game every day, and it's exhausting, and we, we butt heads, but we're all super close. I don't know if you guys have seen us around the cons or at the bars or anything like that, but uh, we really do love and believe in the plan and believe in Dinesh and Warren, and it's, uh, it's been a real, real privilege. Tom. They called me. Your book is so funny. <laughs> How much of that is you? All of it. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is real collaboration right here. <laughs> Did the editor hire you? Did the writer put your name in? Was it just... They called me. <laughs> I'm going to jump in here and tell a story. So jo- Jody, Jody LaHoop was the editor who developed Quantum and Woody and launched it with James Asmus and Tom Fowler. And then Jody uh, ended up leaving uh, Valiant to pursue his own outside interests. And so I ended up coming into Quantum and Woody a couple of issues. I'm going to tell the more interesting version of this, Um, (laughs) which which is that uh, Jody called me out of out of the blue one day and said, "Hey, I work for Valiant. Um, You ever heard of us?" And I said, "No." And would you like to do some covers for Archer Armstrong? And I said, "Okay." Uh, So I inflated my cover price, and they said yes. So I said yes, and. Then we went, I did a few covers, and I started floating to them the idea that I could paint some covers, and they said, well, how much? And then I inflated my cover right again, and they said yes, so I said yes. And they said, hey, we've got this uh, super top secret thing we're doing. Uh, You can't tell anyone. Uh, Are you familiar with a book called Quantum Woody? And I said, no. 
And uh, I said, well, there's this cover, there's this goat in it. And I was like, okay. And I said, we want the cover, and it's like a goat head. And I was like, all right. So it's going to have to talk. And I was like, sure. And then after I was, after I'd finished that, they were like, you want to do the inside too? And I said, how much? And they said, well, what's your rate? And so I inflated my rate, and they said yes. So I said yes, and uh, that was about that. Making it sound like suckers. Yeah, yeah. And then I, then I made James funny, so. <laughs> All of you guys are currently at Valiant now? No. No? It comes and goes. I'm, I'm still doing covers, yeah. I'm still doing right. covers and stuff like that. This season of Valiant seems to be coming to like a boiling point with the issue 25s, and it's exciting. Bring us home, Reber. For me, <laughs> as a colorist. <laughs> Damn it, Tom. <laughs> um, it's exciting for me to work for Valiant because I put in a lot of time over at Marvel in DC, and I was always the guy that got put on the young guns, the new guys that haven't quite been established. And those were all the guys that I got to color. I didn't get to color. The big guns, like Miko, mm-hmm. Carrie, uh, Clayton, Henry, and stuff like that. So over at Valiant, I get all these wonderful toys to play with, all the new projects. And it's, I have a lot of fun because these are the guys I always wanted to work with. And Valiant gives me that opportunity. Ryan was our first uh, exclusive colorist in our company's history. I was uh, hunted, headhunted here at Heroes. Nice. Is that why there's some editors here at Heroes now? Uh, it's a great con. We always look forward to right. meeting new talent and everything like that. So, yeah. Ooh, Lewis? For me, it, it uh, all comes down to Warren Simons. I probably owe my uh, career to him. He, he championed me at Marvel years ago and got me on The Punisher. And uh, years later, I, I left the industry and changed careers. And uh, he, he called me out of the blue in, what, 2011? He's like, hey, we're, I'm, we're starting Valiant back up, and you know, I want you to be involved. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, you know, I don't do that anymore. And, you know, I was like, oh, you know, I, I, I like your stuff, whatever you could do. You know, he, he started pitching me concepts and stuff and having me draw character designs and Warren's enthusiasm is real infectious. And I like Valiant growing up. EXO uh, was one of my favorites and Ninjak. I liked all that stuff. So it was like, you know, scratching that itch again that I had to get back into drawing. And, uh, and he kind of reignited my love for comics again and drawing. So I, I owe a lot to him. And like you were talking about with Valiant, is, uh, it feels like everything's precious that you do. You know, it's not like they put 60 books out a month and, you know, just, just turn it in. You know, we, no one will notice. You know, we got so many damn books coming out that no one will really care. Just turn it in. But uh, with Valiant, Valiant, you know, they're a small group of titles. And, uh, you know, the small team of guys working on it, it's like everyone cares about it. You can't, uh, you don't want to be the, the weak link in the chain. You, you know, you, you got to do your best. I've become a better artist working at Valiant just because of that. I'm, I'm always inspired and that I'm in such amazing company there with their other artists and the scripts I get too. I just, you know, I'm like, ah, I just, I want to do these characters justice. I want to do these stories justice. And, you know, he's given me a lot of freedom, let me draw covers, let me ink myself and grow as an artist and develop, you know, different approach and style. So I'm, I'm real happy to be where I'm at right now. I quit my other career to uh, get back to comics full time because of Warren and the other guys at Valiant. So it's been the best professional experience I've had 
in comics up to this point. So I, I feel very lucky to be working with them on, on their characters. Up to this point. Up to this point. <laughs> yeah. But th- things could change, Brian. for <laughs> me. That's ridiculous, man. It's like you guys are paying them to say this stuff. I mean, it's just like glowing. Uh, what's your favorite? We do pay. Yeah, we do well, pay us. to say, just to <laughs> say, especially Tom. Especially it. Tom. They right. pay them. <laughs> what's your favorite Valiant character to draw? You know, I try to find something about, you know, I've, I've drawn most of them at this point, you know, doing as many covers as I have, and I try to find something cool about each of them. I, I like EXO, I guess, just because that's what I like growing up. You know, it was Conan meets Iron Man, and that, that was just, he's got an awesome look. I just love that about him, but uh, I, I like Bloodshot a lot too. You know, Punisher meets Wolverine. I kind of like tough guy characters with a lot of grit. I probably wouldn't feel comfortable drawing Quantum and Woody. I did, and I had fun with it, but I don't know if I could draw a whole comedy book like Fowler can. <laughs> Few can. <laughs> All right, Matt, what do you got? I'm just gonna say. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say, uh, is, anybody, is everybody reading Armor Hunters? Are there, is everybody still reading it? Uh, so the, here's what I like about Valiant. That's like the big event thing, right? Well, that, that big event stuff is born from like Rob having this idea and, and then us having a meeting and it's like, well, who wants to be involved and how, do, do you want to be involved in it? And then how do you want to be involved in it? And, and sort of spitballing ideas back and forth. And it's just like... To me, I feel like we're like 13 years old around the kitchen table trying to predict, you know, like coming up with like Wolverine stories or something. But, you know, but we're adults and we're coming up with like more sophisticated things. And we're so it's like friends working together is what I feel like. You know, but anyway, Armand Hunters is, is awesome. And I just finished the Unity issue. I don't know what number it is, but it, the first 10 pages of that are some of the favorite things I've ever written for, for anybody. Wow. And so there's like no words, and it's just this cool thing with a giant robot, and it's awesome. Who's drawing that? Braithwaite? I'm trying to not spoil anything. <laughs> is that Braithwaite drawing that? No, no, it's not. Who's Steven, 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 Steven Segovia is the artist yeah, yeah. of uh, oh, okay. yeah, He's good. But, uh, but no, it's cool. And that sequence, I asked Warren, I was like, Warren, can I start out with like a 12 page action sequence that is in space and there's no words? And he's like, do whatever, man, whatever. <laughs> you know, and then that's what it ended up being. It's like my favorite thing I've done so far, and the way it, it's just cool. I think. To me, Valiant is like a publisher for writers, writer, whatever. You know how they say like he's an actor's actor. Like to me, Valiant is like a creator's publisher. <laughs> so, so your favorite scene is twelve pages where you don't say a word. Well, there's no words. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> that is a writer's publisher. <laughs> We're doing armor hunter right now, like Matt said, and it has a Unity tie-in uh, that takes place and shows the events of the Unity team, what they're doing. Joe Harris is doing a Bloodshot tie-in, and Joshua Dysart is doing a Harbinger tie-in. So, Matt, do you want to talk about kind of the collaborative process of doing a mega event that's we try to make very organic and very much, you know, actually interconnecting? Yeah, no, I mean, it happens during that big meeting. Like, last year was the first year I'd been to one of those. It's really open-ended, you know. Quantum and Woody aren't going to fight the armor hunters, you know. It doesn't make sense to have them do that, you know, unless it's funny. funny I don't need to draw it. If it was funny to do that. uh, Funny enough, I don't think I'm giving too much away if I say, we almost did. That almost happened. Yeah. It didn't end up happening, but it almost happened. There would have been an armor hunter's quantum. that's right. I like that everything is on the table, and then it's like, well, whatever makes sense stays, and whatever doesn't, you know, you don't, you don't, you're not forcing anything, you know, and so... And that kind of thing is 
usually there's like a lead. Like I think when Unity started, um, I was taking EXO and I was sort of spearheading that. And then Rob was like, okay, I would tell Rob, I'm like, here's what I want to do. Here's what Unity is going to do to EXO. You know, what, what's EXO going to do? And it was almost like role playing in some ways. And so with all, all of those things, all, all the crossovers, it's kind of like that where one guy's is sort of coming up with the main thing. Like Rob's doing Armor Hunters now, so he's like, well, here's what they're doing. You know, and then I'm like, well, here's what Unity is going to do to react to that. You know, and, and then it really is. It's it is like a role, like weird role playing where you just I'm like, here's what my team would do. You know, and then how what is Armor Hunters going to do? Mm-hmm. And then you just go back and forth. And Rob's like, well, here's what I would do. I trump that, and and we're just going to we're going to kill Ninjak. And I was like, okay, well, Unity won't do that. Then we'll do something else. <laughs> you know? Warren asked me if I wanted to do Rai. You know that we hadn't done the year four thousand stuff yet, and. Um, and so he asked me to sort of pitch Rye and what would I do with it, you know, and I, I gave him this huge document. I, honestly, I did more work on Rye than I've done on anything in my life. Like, I wrote more <laughs> about that and thought more about it and did more, like, groundwork to just do that first issue than anything else because he, he had to figure out what happened, you know, over a 2,000-year period and where everybody is and, like, what happened to all the characters, you know, and you've got Eternal Warrior who doesn't die, so, like... Obviously, he's still going to be around, and then the exo armor that's, you know, what happened to that, you know, is <laughs> there's all these things that are super fun, you know, like that's what's great to me. It's almost like a t- it's time travel, you know, without the time travel, it's just here's your window into, into this year, you know, and you can see what happens. So, I think the year 4000 is probably going to end up being rolled out like I'm rolling out Rye, which I start, I try to start small, you know, it's just. You know, like this teenage girl, and then you see, sort of see Rai as, as this weird legend. You don't know he's real, and then we'll pull back, and you realize, well, he's in Japan, and then you pull back, and you're like, Japan's floating above Earth, and then you'll pull back, and you'll be like, oh, what, what's happened on Earth, you know? And so, we, so slowly over the course of a few story arcs, you know, we'll get to see more and more and more, and all of that stuff is there, and, and a lot of that was in my pitch, and I don't know how much is going to be for real, you know, a lot of that was like, I went through the whole universe, and I was like, here's what my idea is for every single one of those characters, you know, so I don't know how much of that will actually happen or be shown, but it's figured out in my head. <laughs> that was a character that was obviously in our toy box, and obviously it was a character that people were always asking about a lot, and it was really just a question of when, of when we were going to roll out Rye not of whether we were going to do Rye or not, or do the year 4001 or not. It was just a question of when the time would be right, when the, the right combination of creator, you know, creative team with concept would come around. To me, it's scary pitching to you guys, because it's not like, hey, in October, we're launching this book, you know, give us what you got, which is like, okay, as long as it doesn't suck, it's starting in October, you, you have to do something in October, you know, which mm-hmm. everything I've pitched for you guys has been the opposite of that, like, what's your idea and if it's good we'll do it and we'll figure out where it fits on the calendar you know which is completely different because it's like well if it sucks or if it's just mediocre and you're just going to ask you might ask somebody else to do it and I really want to do it you know so but it makes you up your game and like this has to be the best thing possible you know and you wait for a good pitch and a good idea and then figure out where it makes sense and to piggyback off that with what you were saying there was some debate over whether or not we'd go to the future that's because you know, we like to grow organically, and we went from one title to four titles. Next year, we'll have nine titles. And two years ago at Heroes Con, it wasn't time to talk about 4001. It wasn't time to talk about Rai. It was time to talk about Exomanor, Harbinger, Bloodshot, and Archer Armstrong, and ensure that those books were a success. Thank God they were, and then we got to open the toy box and go to Rai. So that's, that's kind of how it grows. And then next year, we'll be sitting around, you know, talking about 
delinquents and Dr. Mirage, which we're going to be talking about a little bit later, and, and that sort of stuff. And the year after that, we could be talking about Armory and Psylords, anything like any. All those are possibilities, but we grow organically so that everything's success, so we don't have one book that's just tankered off and gone by the wayside, and then we don't have the cohesive universe that we feel like we've built, we've built pretty well over the last three years. We're very appreciative of that we live in the house that others built. Uh, so we've uh, made a concentrated effort to make sure we bring back all those names. Bart Sears, Bob Hall, uh, Jim Calfieri just did a, a cover for us. Um, Sean Chen, Bernard Chen, all these people have all come back and done work for us. Because we're big fans of them and we, we work with the people that we're fans of. Uh, so they've all come back and there'll be more to come. You should get Casada uh, come back and draw Ninjak for you. <laughs> <laughs> you up for it. Yeah, I don't think he's working in comics a lot these days. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. I'll be sure to shoot him an email. <laughs> Christopher Priest and, uh, and uh, M.D. Bright, who created Quantum and Woody, are doing a new Quantum and Woody story set in their original continuity, basically extending that storyline decades beyond where it ended. It's called uh, Q2, The Return of Quantum and Woody. It comes out uh, starting in October. So now they're middle-aged. They've split up. They're retired. They had some kind of mysterious falling out that we don't know at the beginning of the story what it's going to be. And uh, then they have to swing back to action. They have, they have to put on their ill-fitting costumes again. They're kind of, you know, they have stiff joints and they're creaky and, they're bad, and they have bad backs. It's going to be a lot of fun. So that's, uh, that's just one example of one thing we're doing. This whole thing has been dangerous. It's dangerous to start a comic book company in 2012. It is dangerous to roll out, you know, four series instead of starting with a whole bunch to guarantee a bunch of sales. It's... Everything we do has been dangerous, but it's all been a plan, and that plan has been dictated solely by the writers and the story and the editors, not by a marketing team, not by a movie that's going to come out in 2015. None of that. And, and so, well, Did he just announce the movie's coming out in 2015? No, I'm, I'm saying it's not by, not by a future movie that we want you to start <laughs> digging, like, you know, like, we want you to get super into Torque because the Torque movie's coming. It's not, that's not how it works with us. And it does work that way with other people. Don't, you know, fool yourselves. Torque movie's coming. I'm here to announce the Torque movie. It's going to... Channing Tatum is Torque. Is that a sequel to the old Torque movie? Yes. <laughs> yeah. By which I mean the movie Torque. It's, uh, but no, it's, it's all been very dangerous, but it's all... We take the stories where we think they need to go to be true to the story and true to our audience. And that's why it feels dangerous, but there's a plan. And, and so far, the plan is working and, and super fun to watch and... Because like if you're working for Marvel and DC, you always sort of feel like you're just working on their property, but on Valiant, you feel like you have an investment in the success of the company. So you want to make sure that you're doing the best story, best art that you can. So we spent a lot of time at the Nerdy Show booth. It was next to the first time ever our booth was uh, next to Brian, mostly due to a happy accident uh, that was not, I mean, it was not great. It was, it was, it was an accident that was yeah. sad, yeah. but it was happy for us because otherwise we would have been stuck in the ass end elsewhere. Yeah. Scott, artist of Atomic Robo, was unfortunately not in attendance as planned, so we were able to commandeer his booth. And By commandeer, we mean completely pirate. Yeah, and, uh, and hang out with Brian, which was great. For uh, us, I don't know about for him. Well, I've been looking forward to meeting Brian for... 11 years since I started reading a bit theater. So, so this, was a, this was a big day for Trench. How was your Heroes Con experience and your Brian Clevenger experience? <laughs> I, I managed to not completely fanboy out on him. So I think that was a, a good thing. He looked like he appreciated it. He seemed to really enjoy talking with me about Atomic Robo. I know I enjoy talking with him about it. What was the rest of your con like there, Mr. Trench? <sighs> I spent a lot of it sitting next to you, Tony, and that is that is an experience. Isn't it, though? Some good news uh, for all you Lightning Dogs fans. Uh, oh, my God, the amount of concept art we got done 
this weekend. Yeah, Tony and I were doing a lot of doodling and talking with Brian and all that. So, you know, unlike our usual lightning dog stuff that we record, I mean, this one was largely visual anyway, but uh, we are planning a uh, finally getting the gang together for a new lightning dog. Yeah, getting the pack together. And for the uninformed or uninitiated, Lightning Dogs is uh, awesome. Check out the link on the episode's page. You're going to learn all about it. At at lightningdogs.com. It's a concept we came up with. It's the ultimate in 80s and early 90s cartoon action figure. It's testosterone and bright color injected road warrior nonsense. It's a cartoon show that never happened that always should have been. It's the ultimate of everything you ever loved and cared about. We would describe it more, but we don't want to deprive you of witnessing the inception. Listen to the episode. You will not be yeah. disappointed. We, we, we accidentally created it on the air and then continued to accidentally create it over the course of several other episodes. And accidentally uh, over the weekend, we created designs for the rest of the cast. You who are initiated, we've got Narissa, we've got Kane Corso, Kid... They are designed. We have started working out the Glampire. These are not finals, but there are a lot of really solid preliminaries that we're going to bring to the next episode. And uh, for those of you who are following the Lightning Dogs Facebook page, where we dump all these sketches as we've been doing them over the months, prepare uh, for a huge dump. This is just <laughs> giant. Get ready for steaming for a mammoth dump. You are going to need like six doggy bags to pick up this pooper scooper. It smells better than the stuff we passed. You know, a couple. Yeah. Oh my God, considerably. Yeah. Beast town sized turd. <laughs> who is incidentally probably the only member of the crew that, that we haven't drawn. That we haven't. I, I, I drew him once, but it just kind of looked like a, kind of the opposite of a wolf bear. <laughs> like the, the percentages of wolf and, and, and bear, bear just swapped a little bit. How was your Heroes Con, Cap? What did you get to do? Anything fun outside of your panels? Uh, you know, I, I, I talked with a lot of cool people, um, and you and I sat in on uh, the uh, a webcomics panel with Jeff Smith, uh, the creator of Bone, and Mark Wade, the creator of uh, Jeff lots, Smith was there. Lots of things. He was pretty. Like his artwork. Oh my god. Uh, and I would say he was pretty. I think Tony has a man crush. I do. Jeff Smith is amazing. I mean, Bones, Bones one of the greatest uh, independent comics of all time. So. And Razzle was a lot of fun to read. Yeah, you, you just read Razzle. You I did. It? I liked it a lot. Um, and I'm looking forward to reading his, his Tukey comic. Yeah, uh, Jeff Smith turns out, and this was news to me, maybe it's news to you, listener folks. Jeff Smith is actually has been doing a webcomic for a little while now. It's called Tukey, and uh, it's about cavemen or something. I haven't read it yet, but I look forward to it. It looks really good. I can't wait to dig into it. It looks awesome. And, and then Mark, Mark was Wade. talking about his, his Thrillbin website. We had him on the site, uh, on, on our site, some time ago, like a couple years ago, actually, at this point, when he was debuting it. And uh, It's been going strong. They just recently switched over to a subscription-based model where you're getting premium content for the price of a single comic every month. Yeah, it's like you unlock hundreds of issues and all new content for, like, three bucks or something. So And it's from... This isn't like your average pay-to-play comic site, because when Mark Wade brings his friends to an online site, you're getting, like, high-quality writers and artists bringing their particular sensibilities to the fastest emerging form for creator-owned material. And also, uh, Thrillbent does weird stuff with webcomics. Like, they play around with what can be done with comics as a digital medium, so it's pretty cool seeing panel transitions in a kind of, like, animated way. Otherwise, we, we you know, talked to some cool people. I met with Rick Spears, the guy who does uh, the, the auteur, one of my favorite recent comics. It's this really fucked up 
just yeah, really, really fucked up story about egotistical personalities in Hollywood, and uh, that doesn't make you feel as dirty as say something like Crossed. Yeah, it, it's still really fucked up, but I, I don't like Crossed, and this is fucked up, but it's also good. Um, <laughs> whatever. Well, I too got to have a good time while we were there. I got to. I was about to ask. I. I yeah. The highlight, I think, for you was when you got to sing Bohemian Rhapsody with the guy on the other side of us from Brian. That actually was not a high- I did enjoy myself singing Bohemian Rhapsody at the top of my lungs at a convention center. But no, uh, I'm I... I'm so I, glad I missed that. Let me just say. You were lucky, Cap. Yeah. Everybody you know, around guys, him just just fled. We, we cleared the aisle, but me and Michael Watkins, our other booth mate, who is a fantastic art dude, everybody should go check him out. Had had just way too much fun digging into that. And I got to meet up with Kevin Bulk again. I'm a big fan of his. He does Terabang. Everybody should check that out. His Sucks to Be Ouija series just wrapped not too long ago when he's doing this Ensign Sue series, which kind of tackles the concept of Mary Sue's. That sounds cool. Uh, When's that happening? That's happening now. Okay. It, it, it is gone for three volumes, and it takes place in Star Trek. I would suspect it would. Got to meet Ryan Otley of Invincible, who I'm a big fan of, and his work is is phenomenal. Yeah, he's great. He's great. He's, he's a good one. But one thing I do want to touch on a little bit is a weird bit of Heroes Con, because there seem to be a lot of cancellations this year. Yeah, man. It, they came up against some adversity, I guess. There were a number of other conventions elsewhere. I don't know why people would have, say, double-booked or reneged, because generally creators love Heroes Con. I, I yeah, have no it's, idea. It's one of the top cons out there. Wade sings its praises. Templesmith, who was here again, uh, sings its praises. Jason Aaron, who wasn't here, but is on a consistent, alternating every other year schedule with Heroes Con, sings its praises. People love Heroes Con. So uh, to see names like Rick Remender and Trad Moore just not be there was and, weird. Yeah. The show was still great. I had a blast. I, I heard there was, uh, there was an engagement uh, that happened at the Sex Criminals panel. I love me some sex I wasn't there because it actually happened directly opposite the Kevin Eastman panel. I wondered why it wasn't quite packed in the Eastman panel, and now I know why, because Sex, Sex Criminals is, is amazing. Yeah, like, pretty much, like, getting all of the praise that it deserves. So some so some folks got engaged, and apparently Fat Bottom Girls was played, which is of relevance if you're <laughs> a reader of the, the book. And I, someone probably reported on it, maybe Bleeding Cool. I got to meet Hannah from Bleeding Cool, the editor-in-chief there. That's cool. She's, she's a very nice lady. She's been working with us uh, a lot recently with our E3 coverage being syndicated over there. Fun fact I picked up, Matt Fraction's parents subscribed to every single one of his comics, except Sex Criminals. That is a fun fact. That's what I'm saying. All right, so nerdy show stuff. Here's what's up. All of our big events are done for now. Great. That's awesome. You know that what that means? means? We're going to be providing more regular nerdy show content for your listening pleasure. Yeah. Right now, we got our Dungeons & Doritos support drive going on. That is where you get to create or decide... The next campaign we'll play in Dungeons & Doritos, our epic tabletop role-playing podcast. We have a number of uh, categories right now. You can either add your own or you can bid on these, and we're entirely listener-supported. So if you like our episodes, then please just send even a little bit of money, even a couple bucks our way. And if you do that, you're not just helping us. You're not just getting a chance to pick a uh, campaign for Dungeons & Doritos, but we'll also send you a ludicrous amount of free stuff that's been uh, support perks throughout the years. It's practically another archive of, of Nerdy Show content at this point. I should probably count how many items are in there. It's a lot. It's a ridiculous amount. Hey guys, this is Cap coming to you from the studio. Since we recorded this episode on the way back from Heroes Con, some things have changed. 
So, in the interest of giving you the most up-to-date information, I'm going to be cutting in and out of the conversations about the support drive that we had in the car and add in helpful information from the studio. Currently at the bottom of the support drive with $25 is the Glampire's Crystal Web. There's some sort of Lightning Dogs affiliated-esque influence, let's say influence, Lightning Dogs influenced kind of parody episode of D&D. Okay, I'm, with, I'm down with that. That has been entirely backed by Hoodoo Voodoo. Yeah. Who really likes these contests. <laughs> yes, he does. Then there's D&D Resurrection. That's at $30 and is sponsored by Kausabaloo, Barry Eye, Hoodoo Voodoo, and Benjamin Britt. Benjamin Britt said, $5 on D&D Resurrection, want to see it happen. Which is a crossover between Dungeons Doritos and Ghostbusters Resurrection, a popular theme. Uh, there's also a category that was uh, listed in the um, on the forums, but uh, no one has backed it yet, which is a sort of a Pokemon crossover as well. The, uh, the suggestion was kind of like a, a medieval fantasy version of Pokemon, which, which is actually a pretty, pretty interesting idea. Um, I unleash erotic pangolin. Oh, man. He's going to use tackle. <laughs> then there's VMAC and his holy monkeys at $34, sponsored by Delphi, Hoodoo Voodoo, and Garrier. Then, something brand new for all you murder mystery fans, Law and Disorder at $45 from Muckraker and Jeffrey Voss. Muckraker said... $35 for Law and Disorder, $20 for my favorite that's already been submitted, Perchance to Dream, which we'll talk about shortly, and a microsode for the next donor. Keep it unpredictable. That's how I, Roosevelt. And Roosevelt, indeed he did. The next person who donated got to decide what we talk about for a future microsode. Here's what Law and Disorder is all about. After a lengthy time traveling, our weary adventurers stop and are permitted to rest in the mansion of the business leader and mayor of a nearby town, provided they don't disturb the small party taking place downstairs. Grateful, our heroes agree and sequester themselves to their rooms until morning. When they're awake, they find that the owner has been murdered, and the building has been put in a lockdown by hard-nosed and somewhat cliched detective Dip Tracy. Can our heroes help find the killer and prove their own innocence? They find themselves trapped in a classic murder mystery in suspicion alongside political rivals, business competitors, and jealous lovers. Jeffrey Voss thought it was super cool and said, I love the E3 coverage, toss my cash into law and disorder. And yes, we went to E3, and we saw lots of cool stuff there, and we tried out a lot of games that aren't coming out for a while, and we did podcasts, and we did videos. If you want to check that out, just go to nerdyshow.com slash E3 2014, or there'll be a link on this episode's page. Let us know what you think. Covering E3 is a heck of an ordeal, and we're looking for feedback. Next up is Perchance to Dream at $60, sponsored by Sage Zero and Robert Rangel. Sage Zero said, Love what the Nerdy Show crew has been bringing. A little to show appreciation, but also as seed money towards Perchance to Dream. And Robert Rangel liked it so much that he sponsored it. But let's go over to the guys in the car to find out what it's all about. I would imagine it has something to do with Shakespeare. Uh, it, it's kind of a, uh, each individual character gets trapped in their ideal world, but it's all a dream kind of a thing. So in other words, all the shippers between Jamela and Jennifer will, will be able to put that fanfic to rest and have the real thing. Or something, we'll see. Or something. I mean, like, her brain's pretty complicated, and she might be the kind of person, she can, she can imagine quite a lot. I, but, I, I believe it. I believe and, it. But at the end of the day, she's also her own worst enemy, so you never know. I think that the idea is it's kind of like one of those classic uh, Mad Hatter Batman stories. Be where, careful what you wish for. Yeah, where everything goes really good, and then they all kind of realize they're dreaming, and then kind of have to get out of it and kind of fight together to get out of it. Which I, seems pretty we'll cool. Say, I, I think it's kind of like uh, the Rick and Morty episode, the the Inception episode, where they go in the math teacher's head, and it's and the, it just his goes dream. deeper and yeah. deeper and deeper and deeper. <laughs> you can run, but you can't hide, bitch. And finally, currently in the lead, a blast from the past. Our last topic. 
our last topic goes deep into the archives of D&D history. Yeah. And that is a, a suggestion from Triforce Mike himself. The Ape of a Thousand Dicks. Not actually Mike giving the suggestion, but it's it's it, definitely... It was, it was something Mike suggested way, way, way back in D&D history. As it warms the cockles of my heart to see that Ape of a Thousand Dicks coming back. Ape of a Thousand Dicks is currently at $110, sponsored by Durafago, Mauron, Louis Melancon, and Damien. Yeah, why don't you uh, uh, pull up Durafago's uh, summary there? Absolutely. A campaign suggestion from Mike once upon a time before the erotic pangolin. No idea about the ape itself, though. A large ape with a thousand dicks, an ape-shaped golem made from the thousand dicks. You know, I kind of already drew that at Megacon a few years ago. Perhaps a King Louis-esque ape who simply wants to be a man-man-cub, so he goes around killing and pilfering the penises from previously operative people. That's an excellent alliteration, Durafago. Bravo. Maybe emerging with the Justice League in Futurama, a smart race of apes that has a seedy black market where human horn is sold as an aphrodisiac and they have to get little Barty back. Oh god, Barty. Or little VMAC, or whomever was unlucky enough to get his harvested. It, implying that there's any conceivable way in the Dungeon Streeters universe to reattach a penis. I don't know. ILM ages, man. Then again, VMAX was already removed and reattached. So maybe Barty could get the rough treatment this time. Has Barty been through enough? Would give Jamela and Lefty something to taunt him with. Or both. <laughs> but I don't remember VMAX penis getting removed. That happened. When did that happen? Uh, it was kind of a Mike joke. And by kind of, I mean it was completely a Mike joke. Wait, didn't wasn't it Chair's dick that got severed and reattached? No, it was VMAX. But this, this was just like a, an offhanded comment, right? This yes, was, this okay, was an so. offhanded comment that Mike was making during... You, you remember he had multiple personalities at that point still. Right. Though VMAC acknowledged it. He acknowledged that that's a thing that happened and that it came back. That happened. Man, okay. I've got some I've got some problems i got to fix. Uh, <laughs> this is what the Nerdy Show Wiki's for, guys. So uh, your friendly neighborhood nerdy shows, don't forget stuff that happened and we can tell you funky stories to explain some crap that some of our members said once upon a time. Here's what the other supporters of Ape of a Thousand Dicks had to say. Louis Melancon said, I think we need to find out what an Ape of a Thousand Dicks is. Mauron, who contributed earlier in the month but hadn't settled on a D&D campaign, said, Cap, please put my $30 towards this. Mike would have wanted it that way. And Damien said, Here's to the Triforce Mike-inspired D&D campaign. Much love to the crew. Much love to you guys. Thank you so much for all the support. Remember, we have a crap ton of possible support perks to unlock We've just recently made our monthly goal of our bare bones operational costs. But beyond that, the sky's the limit. There's all kinds of awesome stuff that Nerdy Show can do with more money. And there's awesome stuff that you guys can earn if more money's contributed. So spread the word to any fans who might not be aware of the support drive and get in on this action. It's still very much anybody's game. That concludes the amount of topics that are up there yeah. right now. Though I do need to give an additional shout out to a very special fan who found us at HeroesCon, Mr. Kyle Rolna, who has gotten all of our goodies for donating... Thank you so much, Kyle, for finding us at Heroes Gun, and I hope you're and enjoying putting, this. Putting a donation dollar in our magic box. And you got cool stuff, man. You got cool stuff. Thank you so much for coming to see us. Yeah, that's what's up. All right, so uh, I think that wraps the episode, more or less. Pretty uh, much, just like we wrapped up Heroes Gun. Yeah. What's in store? Well, uh, like I said, um, we're gonna we're putting together a new Turtles episode. I don't have details on that yet. 
but we're going to lightning dogs content including yeah. a couple of pages of like comicry that I've been putting together um, the Call of Cthulhu show is still in production it's going to start as soon as we can but we're developing an original score for it and it's going to be really 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 good I can't wait for you guys to hear this it sounds so good D&D is coming out this month a new episode of Dungeons and Doritos and the, the Flame On episode with the, uh, the LGBT panel that's and, coming. Uh, that's, that's coming soon, and uh, we're recording the Atomic Robo RPG. It's happening soon. That's coming out soon, and we're going to be doing a show with myself, Brian, Scott, and uh, Mike, the designer of that role-playing game. If any of you are coming out to San Diego Comic-Con, Aaron and I will be there. We'll be walking around, hanging out. If that's a thing that you're doing also, hit us up on the forums or Facebook or Twitter. Let us know. You guys can hang out together. It'll be like a party. Yeah, we can do a nerdy show meetup. I like doing those. And I think that's it. Man, I'm so excited to like not be traveling for a few weeks at least because I'm exhausted. I'm really, really Have exhausted. Have you even seen Orlando for longer than a day in, I was, in June, I was there for exactly 24 hours between E3 and uh, Heroes Con. Yeah, <laughs> that is our cap, ladies and gentlemen. That is our cap. I he don't... is so dedicated to your entertainment. Yeah, yeah. All right. So thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll be back with uh, regularly scheduled nerdy show type stuff very, very soon. Look forward to that new episode of D and D coming. I know you should. Oh my God, you yeah. should coming next week and uh, more cool stuff from there. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. I'm Cap. Bye. I'm Tony. And I'm Trench. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Oh, hey, you made it to the end of the episode. Well, I've got some sexy secret things to tell you. Uh, Not really too secret. I do say them at the end of every episode. But if you liked what you heard, it is imperative that you follow my every word. First, I want to thank you for listening to Nerdy Show. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you to keep this and other shows in the Nerdy Show Network alive by telling a friend, rating and reviewing us on iTunes, shopping at nerdyshow.com slash store, or, most importantly, by directly donating to the network. Any size contribution gets you exclusive Nerdy Show outtakes, dramatic readings, images, and other crazy stuff and lets you participate in our monthly support drives. Just go to nerdyshow.com support to chip in. But if you really want to level up, find out how you or your company can underwrite this or other Nerdy Show programming. Just visit nerdyshow.com sponsorships. For more episodes of Nerdy Show, as well as other fine programs, community forums, videos, articles, and more, head over to nerdyshow.com. You can subscribe to all Nerdy Show podcasts via the iTunes store, and for the latest news, follow us on all your favorite social networks. So to recap, tell a friend, donate to the show, and connect with the entire Nerdy Show network crew online. We're glad to be your home for authentic nerdy entertainment. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.